Hello, and welcome to Making Christ Known, a podcast from Adairsville Baptist Church in Adairsville, Georgia. This podcast features Senior Pastor Eric Sorrell and his sermons designed to make Christ known in Adairsville and beyond. For more information about Adairsville Baptist Church, visit us on Facebook or online at adairsvillebaptistchurch.org. In this episode, we continue our study of the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Pastor Eric preaches about the church at Smyrna, a church under persecution for their faith, in Revelation chapter 2. We serve an eternal, resurrected Savior. This sermon reminds us that when we face persecution, we must remember our Savior, Jesus Christ, who suffered first for us. And now, here's Pastor Eric. Joel Rosenberg, who is an author, is a political leader, uh, recently announced this week that he was moving from Washington, D.C. to the land of Israel. Uh, I read his blog quite often, and this week he wrote these words. Right now, we're witnessing horrific war and bloodshed and lawlessness in the epicenter. We're seeing some of the worst persecution in the modern history of the Middle East unfold before our eyes. Radical Islamic extremists are crucifying and beheading Christians, forcing followers of Christ to convert or die, driving Christians from their homes, and looting all their possessions. This is particularly true in Iraq and Syria, where genocidal conditions are emerging. Uh, From maybe the the more well-read Today's facts. Brutality against Christians in northern Iraq prompted calls from Pope Francis and several world leaders to stop the terrorist group ISIS. Christians have been crucified, had their eyes gouged out, been shot, and had their heads severed. Uh, The church in persecution, I don't know if you've been watching the news, if you have, you've seen some horrible stuff, right? There are even some videos on the internet that that we could show or or take you to that are are simply awful. Um, Images, footage that would would make me sick. I would come home at lunch one day and tell them, I mean, I just watched some things that really uh, I just wished I hadn't have seen. It was was sickening, some of the images um, that are out there. And uh, it's nothing new. This has been taking place for for, years and years and years. But it's the, the threat that radical Islam imposes on so many people around our our world. This morning we're going to talk about persecution. Uh, Recently a a great persecution website released what they call their top five list. What are the the top five countries in our world that are really the most persecuted countries? Number one, coming in at number one, I I believe this is uh, pretty, pretty often that this country comes in at number one, is the country of North Korea. North Korea, the most persecuted country in their opinion. Number two is Somalia. Number three, maybe no shock to you, Syria. Number four, Iraq. And number five, Afghanistan. These are countries where if you are a Christian here, you are under great persecution. And and we've been seeing these things. 
As you know, last week we began our, our study, or a new series on the seven churches in the book of Revelation, from Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. And we said this, that in Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus is taking x-rays of seven churches. And He's saying, here are the things that are, that are going well for you, here are the things that are, are broken for you, things that need correcting. He portrays Himself, the Lord Jesus, in a different way to each church. He gives each church a different promise. Today, we're going to look at Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. I've called this the church in persecution. Uh, originally on your handout, I had this, the church in hard times. And uh, God wouldn't let me leave that. It's much more than hard times. It is, it is persecution. You know, we attempt to identify with, with these countries and with Christians there, but the truth is this, is that you and I, we really can't. We have no idea what they're going through. So, we read Jesus' sermon, His letter to this church, starting in Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, the words of the first and the last, who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich. And the slander of those who say that they're Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. You may be tested, and for ten days you'll have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers, the one who overcomes, will not be hurt by the second death. Lord God, now we pray, Lord, that You would speak to us. Lord, we know that You've given us Lord, the blessing of, of these verses for a reason, Lord, to teach us. Not just for the church at Smyrna, God, but for the church at Adairsville, Lord. Speak to us so we can know, Lord, how to, how to survive and how to glorify You and how to better pray. God, encourage us. Save us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we think through this, this letter to the church at Smyrna. Today we'll use six Ps. First, I want you to notice the place. The place. The place is Smyrna. He says to the angel of the church in Smyrna, maybe to the, maybe to the pastor, maybe it is you know, uh, an, an earthly figure, maybe it is a heavenly figure like angel that you would think of, a per, perhaps pastor. And he says this to the angel, to the church of Smyrna. Now this is not the Smyrna in Cobb County, right? This is the Smyrna that lies just 35 miles north from the church that we looked at last week, the church at Ephesus. So if you went on that crescent-shaped mailing route and you, you travel 35 miles, you would get to this city called Smyrna. It was a competing city of that day, maybe second only maybe to, to Ephesus. You would go through the Ephesian gate to enter in to this city of Smyrna. It too was a seaport city. So commerce, things could, could move around in that city. It was prominent. It is still there to this day as Izmir, Turkey. Izmir, Turkey is the third most populous city in Turkey. You can go there. And in fact, there is a church uh, of Smyrna there, a church of Izmir. That's what they're called now. I, I recently saw a video where uh, a U.S. pastor went over and he preached on this passage to that historic church, uh, um, a small church there in Turkey. If you go to Ephesus today, you, you see the ruins, you know, the great library, all those great artifacts. But here you, you can see people. In ancient Smyrna, uh, emperor worship was vital. It, it was crucial. 
you needed to worship Caesar. You needed to worship the emperor. And if you didn't, you were the, the outcast. So Christians here, they were opposed. If you were a Christian here, you were persecuted. Now, the Romans would persecute you. And really, even the Jews would persecute you. Why? Because you were now a Messianic Jew. You believed in the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. And so you would catch it just from, from all ends. It must be a, a really tough thing to be a Christian in ancient Smyrna. We said that John writes this letter about 96 A.D. About 66 years later, if you will, from the time that Jesus rose and, and appeared and then ascended unto heaven. And Jesus speaks to John, who's in the captivity on the Isle of Patmos, and He says, write, write to these seven churches. So now in, in 96, this church is written. There's an important bit of history that we need to realize about Smyrna, and it was this in the year, some, you know, 150s, 160s, there was a, a great man named Polycarp. Now, Polycarp was a disciple of John. The same John that wrote the Gospel of John. The same John that wrote 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. The same John that wrote the book of Revelation. A lot of people believe that Polycarp was, was his disciple. And so John would tell him about all those things that he experienced when he walked with Jesus. Polycarp became bishop of the church in Smyrna. He was burned. Burned at the stake. Around 150, 160, something like that. Some say that... Uh, as he was being burned to death, that the fires wouldn't consume him, so he eventually died by stabbing. This is Polycarp. This is what would, would follow some years after this was written. I want to read to you a quote in the martyrdom. Polycarp is recorded as saying on the day of his death, Eighty and six years I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my King and Savior? Bring forth what thou wilt. Polycarp was burned at the stake for refusing to burn incense and worship the Roman emperor. Just years later, uh, this great man would, would die and he would say, I, they would give him the second chance, right? Can you, will you recant? Will you, will you turn? Will you worship Caesar, the emperor? And he said, 86 years I've done this. I've served him. I can't do it. I won't do it. And so he was a martyr. You can read about him. This is the place, Smyrna. We move on to the person. Look at verse 8. He says to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. This is the person of Jesus Christ. To each of the seven churches, Jesus comes and He gives them a portrait of Himself. This is who I am. For Smyrna, He describes Himself in a couple of ways. First, He describes Himself as the Eternal One. The Eternal One. The words that he uses are, are these words. He says, I am the first and the last. He, he refers to time. He refers to eternity. I am first before all things. I am the last. I am the eternal one. Church at Smyrna, you need to know these things. Paul would write in Colossians about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And these are the words that he would use about Jesus. He is the image of of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together, and He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, 
that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Thank goodness this morning that Jesus is the Eternal One. He's always been. He always will be. Oh, church at Smyrna, you need to cling to this truth. Church in Adairsville, we have to cling to this truth. Jesus is eternal. Not only is He eternal, though, He is the resurrected One. He is the resurrected One. The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. Who died and came to life. Jesus lives. He's the resurrected One. And when the church of Smyrna reads this, they need to think about these things that, hey, you know what? Christ suffered too. He suffered persecution. Persecutors nailed Him to a cross. But did He stay there? No. He was buried. Did He stay there? No. He rose. He is the resurrected One. Paul read right to a church in Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul would let the church know just how important the resurrection of Jesus is. These are the words he would say. And if Christ has not been raised... Your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we're of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who've fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all dies, so also in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at His coming, those who belong to Christ. He's the resurrected one. He lives. I like what Pastor Tim Keller says about the resurrection. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all He said. If He didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what He said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like His teaching, but whether or not He rose from the dead. That's how the first hearers felt who heard reports of the resurrection. They knew that if it was true, it meant we can't live our lives any way we want. It also meant we don't have to be afraid of anything. Not Roman swords, not cancer, nothing. If Jesus rose from the dead, it changes everything. Everything hangs on that truth that Jesus is the eternal one, that Jesus is the resurrected one. If He didn't rise, then what in the world are we doing today, right? But if He did, oh, it changes the world. And He did. And He did. Jesus has actually already been described this way by John. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 17 and 18, if you just look back, John sees Jesus. And he says, When I saw Him, I fell at His feet as though dead, but He laid His right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Verse 19, that outline of the book of Revelation, Write therefore the things you've seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. This is so applicable for the church at Smyrna. They needed to see Jesus in this way. And so do we. And so do many in 
North Korea and Iraq and Syria today. They need to cling to these truths. It gives us an eternally focused mindset. This is the person, our Savior. The third P is this praise. He praises this church. In verse 9, He says, I know, Jesus knows this church. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich. And the slander of those who say that they're Jews and they're not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Jesus says, I'm going to praise you for something, church at Smyrna. I praise you for your devotion. Your devotion through some things. First, He says this, I praise you for your devotion through tribulation and poverty. Through tribulation and poverty. That word for tribulation there, it means oppressing. Remember what Jesus said to His followers in His Gospel? I've said these things to you, that in Me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, Jesus says, I've overcome the world. Jesus looked at His followers and said, I promise you this, you will have tribulation. It's oppressing. It's a tough time. The church at Smyrna, they were facing this. So many today, we, we take it for granted what we do today and the freedom in this place. But they don't have that freedom. They meet in underground churches. They knock in secret ways on doors. They meet in secret rooms. They, they sing in a whisper. remember a pastor talking about that, kneeling on a little bench for hours, and they would sing, and they would study, and they had to do it in secrecy. This is tribulation. The word for poverty there is a word that means possessing nothing. It's not just the word they were poor. They had nothing. Extreme poverty. And it makes you think, how did they get there? How did the church at Smyrna wind up with nothing? Maybe they were robbed, right? Maybe they were ransacked and, and looted, and so this church, they faced really, really tough times. He praises them. Thank you for your devotion through tribulation and through poverty. This is the church of tough times and tight budget. <laughs> Ever been there? Uh, perhaps we've been through you know, tight budget times. They had nothing. <laughs> there was no offering, right? There was no budget. It was really easy. Zero. And they had tough times. Maybe you've been in that pressing situation too. Theirs was a little bit different. And he says this, I know you, that, that even though you're facing tribulation and even though you're facing poverty, he says, you're this, you're rich. In parentheses, you're rich. You don't really, you don't, you don't know it perhaps. You're rich. Past couple of Sunday nights, we've been looking at the book of Ephesians. And in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul uses these words. He says, let me tell you about the riches of His grace. If you're a child of the King, let me tell you just how rich you are in Christ. They're riches of His grace. They're not earthly riches. They're heavenly riches. He says, i got to tell you, church at Ephesus, about the riches of His glorious inheritance. You're rich. Oh, church at Smyrna, don't worry. A better day's coming. And you'll prosper. He praises Him for tribulation and poverty. The second thing that He praises Him for is devotion through slander and blasphemy. Slander and blasphemy. He says, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Perhaps these were, were Jews who were giving them a hard time. Perhaps they were Gentiles who claimed to be Jews and were giving them a hard time. The, the, nonetheless, the, the point is here is that the church at Smyrna, they, this group was attacking them. They would slander them. They would blaspheme the name of Jesus Christ. 
And the bottom line, Jesus says, is they're really a synagogue of Satan. It's this unseen battle. And Jesus says, thank you, church. You've just been devoted through it. Through all this suffering, this slander, this blasphemy. He gives them a prescription. It's the fourth P. This prescription is their medicine. You see it in verse 10. Jesus says, Do not fear. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, tried. For ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life. This is the prescription. It's neat to note about this church at Smyrna. There are only two churches that don't have a problem. Seven churches, right? And only two of them don't have a problem. This is one of the two churches. that There's no really words of condemnation. No words of correction. There's no problem to be addressed. I like what one commentator says. He says, The purifying fires of affliction cause the lamp of testimony to burn all the more brilliantly. You know what? In this church, there weren't anybody, there weren't like church members just playing games, right? Because affliction came. And what does affliction do? What does the fire do? It, it makes the genuine just stand out. I used to have a professor in Bible college, and he would say this I pray for persecution in America. I, I hated to hear that. It made my skin crawl. I thought, because I look at him as this man of God, and I thought, God hears your prayers in a special way. Man, don't pray for that. I don't want to see persecution in America. And it was kind of his extreme way of saying this. I think if persecution would come, it would sort out the genuine from the false, right? The genuine would become just, just this brilliant fire and this brilliant flame. But those who were just playing games, those who weren't sincere, it would cause them to turn away. Perhaps there was no problem in this church because affliction did just that. It purified them. So here's the prescription. You ready? Here's the pill to swallow for the church at Smyrna. Jesus says, here's your, here's your medicine. Two things. The first one is this. You see it right away in verse 10. Do not fear. Do not fear in suffering. How hard is that? Jesus knows it's hard, but He said this. You're going to have tough times. But church at Smyrna, don't be afraid. Do not fear. Remember Jesus' words in the Gospel. He looked at His followers and He said this, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. It's courage. As I came, I said three things that we have to do. Christ must be preached. Community must be formed. And courage must be displayed. We need courage when we go out into the community. Maybe it takes courage you know, to, to hand somebody a track. And then if they tell us no, or if they, they kind of give us the cold shoulder, we think, oh, I've been persecuted. Hey, I haven't been persecuted. Those in Iraq, that's persecution, right? They're suffering. But Jesus would say this, don't fear. Don't fear. The second prescription is this. He says, be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful unto death. Wow. Be faithful unto death even as a martyr. Hey, Polycarp, be faithful unto death. Hey, Jim Elliot, be faithful even unto death. You ever had that pill that the doctor gives you that's like the horse pill? And this is a little bit tough to swallow. Jesus' prescription to the church at Smyrna, to me, it's a horse pill. That's tough to swallow. That's tough medicine. Don't be afraid in suffering and persecution. Don't fear 
be faithful unto death? What if he came to the church in America? What if he came to a Daresville Baptist church and he said, hey, this, this is coming. And this is what I want you to do. Be faithful unto death. In suffering and persecution, die for me as a martyr. Could we do it? <laughs> this, this hurts. Do you remember Martin Luther? He wrote this great hymn that we sing in church, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. There's a line in that hymn that says this, The body they may kill, His truth abideth still, His kingdom is forever. The church at Smyrna could sing this song, Hey, the body, you can kill it, but you can't kill my soul. Right? His truth, it will still abide. And guess what? His kingdom is forever. Why? Because He's the first and the last. He's eternal. He was dead, but He lives. He's the resurrected one. And He's the first fruits. Hey, guess what? I'll do the same one day. I'll live with Him through all eternity. So the body they may kill. How could these Christians in Iraq and in Syria and in North Korea say, I won't recant. I won't turn back. On the way to church this morning, I was, I was listening to a CD, a, a modern day version, if you will, of no turning back. And, and the, the guy was singing this, the cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. No turning back. And I thought, we in America, we don't know what that means. I have no idea how, how I can even sing that. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. Like, like crucifixion before me. And yet this week I would see images of people crucified and put up in a public square. And, and you could sing that? The body, that, that's faith, isn't it? Be faithful. Even unto death. You know, the, the church after the apostles, many of them martyred, right? Killed. Would face extreme persecution. And, and so many would be killed. What if? What if it got bad? What if it gets bad in the U.S.? I have no idea what kind of world hope will grow up in. I have no idea what kind of world Little Molly will grow up in. It, it, it's almost scary. What about radical Islam? What, what about ISIS? Man, I just this, even this week, so many people texting me back and forth and having these conversations. What is it that drives them? It's their theology. It's their false, their false theology uh, that, just, that drives them. And, and they want this. The infidels to be killed. The Christians to be killed. The Muslims that go against them to be killed. This is, this is what they want to do. They, want, they, they, they just pride themselves in it. Inflicting persecution. The fifth P is this prediction. That's scary. Jesus makes a prediction to the church at Smyrna. You see it in verse 10. He says, Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. The prediction is this. Suffering was coming for them. Jesus says, I predict it. Prison for you. The devil's about to throw some of you into prison. Maybe they haven't, hadn't been there before. He says this, that you would be tested. You would be tried. And he says this, it's for ten days. For ten days you'll have tribulation. It's pressing. 
Now you have to decide. Maybe that means literal. Maybe, maybe for ten literal days they would find themselves in prison. Some believe that the ten days are figurative. That they represent times of persecution from Nero um, all the way to, I think his name is Diocletian or, or, or other emperors that would persecute the church. Some people believe that it's figurative just for a short amount of time. That it, that it won't be for forever, but for, but for ten days. Nonetheless, Jesus makes this prediction to the church. Some in your congregation, they're going to jail for me. Just this week, I believe, was, was released that home video. Maybe you saw it of Pastor Saeed's children. He's the pastor that's in Iran and he's, he's jailed there. And his kids were begging uh, President Obama and, and begging others, why should my dad suffer in Iran for being a, pris- uh, 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 for being a Christian? Please, I don't want to go through another birthday or Father's Day or Easter without him. Help. There are so many, so many different countries where they're in prison. What if it comes here one day? What if we face it? Will you believe in Jesus? Here's the sixth P, and it's a promise. We said this, all seven churches get a promise. The promise is in verse 10 and also in verse 11. Jesus says, Be faithful unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life. He who has an ear. Do you have an ear this morning? Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers, to the one who overcomes. I give you this promise. You will not be hurt by the second death. Here's the promise. The promise is this, church at Smyrna. If you're faithful unto death, you will receive the crown of life. A crown of life. James, the half-brother of Jesus. After Jesus' resurrection, James would would trust in Jesus and his half-brother. Later on, they would call him camel knees. He would be on his knees in prayer so much that he would develop those calluses. And James eventually trusted in Jesus. And he writes these words in his book, James chapter 1, verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love Him. The promise for the church at Smyrna was this, you'll receive a crown of life as opposed to a crown of death, right? The promises that Jesus gives, they they always are so meaningful. It's always like just what the church needs. And and they had this promise over their heads, death for Christians. But Jesus says, I have this promise for you, a crown of life. You've ever thought about all the crowns that are mentioned in Scripture? There is the crown of life. The crown of righteousness for a godly life. The crown of glory for faithful shepherds. The crown of gold, the evidence of our redemption. The crown of joy, rejoicing, and the incorruptible crown. This was their promise to those martyrs. Polycarp would be martyred. Maybe he was already there at this time and it would come to him. And to all these churches, we, we hear those great words, to the one who overcomes... To him that that overcometh. Who is that? Last week we identified that that person in 1 John chapter 5, verse 5. John writes, Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? The overcomer is, is the person that believes in Jesus, that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And the overcomer gets a promise in this letter to the church at Smyrna. What's the promise? He says this to the one who overcomes you will not be hurt by the second death. 
The overcomer won't be hurt by the second death. You say, Pastor Eric, what is the second death? Take your Bible and go to the back of Revelation. Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, verses 14 and 15. By now, this part of Revelation, the kingdom has been established. Satan has been defeated. Judgment has taken place. And eternity is awaits. New heavens, a new earth. In Revelation chapter 20, verses 14 and 15, we, we learn what the second death is. Are you ready? The Bible says this, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Here it is. The second death is eternity apart from, from Jesus. It's not death and Hades and hell. It is the lake of fire. That's eternity for the unbeliever. That's the second death. It's, it's the lake of fire. And he says, if anyone's name's not found written in the book of life, that awaits. That's a promise. And it's true. A lot of people don't want to, we don't want to preach about hell, right? Because it's, it's scary. Well, we, we can preach about the lake of fire because it's in Scripture, right? Revelation 21, verse 8. I'll back up to verse 7 because he talks about the overcomer. Revelation 21, verse 7, he says this, The one who overcomes will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. But Jesus gives us this promise. If you believe in Me, that second death is not for you. Have no fear. You don't have to go through life in, in fear. You're a son. You're an overcomer. And I've got to think that even as John pins these words from Jesus, even as John pins this sermon, I have to think that as he's pinning it, he's starting to smile, and it's, this is encouraging him too. Do you know why? Because he's in exile. He's a prisoner too. And as he, as he reads this, he has to think, oh, I'm not alone. Oh, I, I, I can't be hurt either. <laughs> the body they may kill. His truth abide is still. His kingdom is forever. And as John writes, it's just encouragement to his soul too. This is the promise. In your hymnal, you have a, a hymn. It's a hymn that we sing pretty often. It's hymn number 657. There's a couple of different ways that it's played, different, different tunes to this. There was a minister, and this minister was dying. And his family gathered around him. And these were this minister's dying words. Let us all stand up for Jesus. He had a friend who was another minister of a different denomination. They got along. That other minister, just following his, his friend's death, uh, was preaching on, on Ephesians 6 about this battle that we have. It's not against flesh and blood, but it's against evil. You know, these, these dark forces. And he wrote a, a poem. He wrote a hymn. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. I thought about the, the last verse of that hymn. 
Listen to these words. Think about the church at Smyrna. Think about our brothers and sisters who we're supposed to pray for. Think about maybe what would come to the U.S. one day. Stand up. Stand up for Jesus. The strife will not be long. This day, the noise of battle. The next, the victor's song. To Him who overcometh, a crown of life shall be. He with the King of glory shall reign eternally. In persecution, in suffering, in hard times, have courage. Have courage, church. Eternity comes. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Making Christ Known. We invite you to join us again next time for another sermon from Adairsville Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on Facebook or online at adairsvillebaptistchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to connecting with you again soon.